Hi, Grandma. So, do you want to play, Grandma? You want to play that part from Measure Nine? Yep. Hello, fellowship sisters and siblings. Irreverent Rachel here. Stay tuned now for a bonus holiday podcast with my dear friend, neighbor, and elder care consultant Howard. And don't miss my previous podcast with Howard, who provides hot tips on the start, middle, and end of the elder care adventure. I hope you enjoyed this season finale of my first year of scrappy podcasting. So, Howard, in the spirit of the holiday, okay. it would be entertaining ho, ho. to make a riff on the 12 days of Christmas and let you rattle off your expertise to people regarding any given subject matter that I've shoehorned into this poem. Are you okay. ready? Okay, I'm ready. First phrase. In the first year of aging, my elder needs from me a cartridge of medicine, please. What would you say about the medication? Okay. First of all, the cartridge, I think everyone over, every, anyone who takes more than two meds should have their meds in a cartridge. Right. They can fill it themselves. This has nothing to do with competence or anything else. If you're taking multiple meds, it's very easy to get confused. And then this happens. I'm not a morning person. I wake up without the cartridge. I wake up and I would take my pills, which were not many. And then five minutes later, I think, did I take my pills or didn't I? <laughs> exactly. If they're in a cartridge and the slot is empty, you took them. Mm-hmm. If the slot is full, you didn't. Case in point, my mom, once she was in formal managed medical situations, even when one was just a daycare, they create these manufactured packets right, mm-hmm. that are specific to her need. And then talk about, I lived through this with my dad, about the need for holistic oversight by one person knowing what everything you're getting. If you don't have a primary care doctor who concatenates all information about you and puts it all together, you need another primary care doctor Mm -hmm. because that's their job. And if you have multiple specialists, which many people do, each specialist only deals with their own specialty. So to that case in point, my dad would doctor shop at the end. He would mm-hmm. go until he heard what he wanted to hear, walk away with medications, and the end of the story was no joke. I filled an entire kitchen garbage bag full of individual pill mm-hmm. you know, boxes and full of meds, all which contraindicated each other. Mm-hmm. On my way screaming out of town, I had to throw all the shit without him seeing because he would flip. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had to drive away from the house before he knew this happened put them in a garbage bag and throw them onto a cabinet that I knew he wouldn't see or reach and then call one of these elder care helper persons to be like, can you go get a ladder? (laughs) And when my dad's not around, sneak it. And that I had to do that at at the point that we put him into the day program because they were like, we can't administer his meds correctly. He's taking shit at home Mm -hmm. that he's gathered over all these years. That's usually the outcome. Mm -hmm. But if early on, you have a primary care doctor who knows what's going on and puts together everything and says, well, you know, I think you should be taking these three things at the same time mm-hmm. for whatever the reason is. Exactly. Um, and then you, with that doctor, determine, well, I'm not going to take this because this 
the side effect of this is worse than the efficacy. Exactly. And the notion that computerized medical records are a help, theoretically they should be, but in practice they're not. Mm -hmm. Because doctors in different systems have no access. Exactly. So unless you walk around with a complete med list and your medical records in your hands all the time, which no one does. Well, um, ironically, that's precisely how the rest home manages my mom's appointments now. I come away with an envelope every time with mm -hmm. a list of her meds, and then I walk into the next specialist, to specialist, to your point, mm -hmm. hand it to them, and it still takes us a half an hour to unravel. It takes me, the holistic, meaning the oversight mm -hmm. seer, to translate what it means Correct. And, and what what's happening. And that's pathetic. But that's a flaw in our healthcare system mm -hmm. that's not going to change right mm -hmm. away. But it's got to be somebody mm -hmm. who's mm -hmm. holding all the information and speaking up. Howard, in the second year of aging, my elder needs from me two surgeon gloves. Meaning you have an opportunity to do 20,000 surgeries and procedures all day long. What's your opinion on that? Most are not necessary, right. but some are. And this is not just with elders, this is with anybody. A specialist who does, I'm just picking something randomly, hip replacements. If you have hip pain, of course they're gonna suggest a hip replacement because that's what they do for a living mm -hmm. if they're an orthopedic surgeon. I'm not saying no one needs a hip replacement. Plenty of people do, I myself have one. But there are a lot of steps before a hip replacement that can alleviate pain. Mm -hmm. And I think to jump to, to a surgical intervention without exploring other options is foolish, particularly with an older person. Mm -hmm. And if it's an older person who has mobility problems anyway, having a joint replacement and their ability to recover from that is very, very low, unless they're very determined and fit in every other way. And there is a point, maybe we'll close on this note, that I my own mother, we wanted a, a procedure for her, which actually was supposed to be nominal for a heart issue that mm -hmm. put her, almost killed her this summer. And the doctors themselves were like, nope, that moment has passed. She's no longer eligible. And it turns out they can manage it successfully with meds. That, that Yeah, that was a very successful. My mom and I have had, I don't have to convince her, we're so tired of going to appointment after appointment after appointment. So I start every appointment now saying, look, <laughs> she's lived longer than she thought. She had a good quality of life. We're not looking for superhero methodologies mm -hmm. here. Just make her comfortable. Right. Okay, in the third year of aging, my elder needs from me three pairs of lens. What do you want to say about eyesight and hearing failure? Everyone loses eyesight and hearing as they age. Everyone. Should people wear glasses? Of course. Should people wear trifocals or progressive lenses or whatever they need to make them able to function in a more reasonable way and comfortable way? Of course. Hearing loss is a more complicated thing because hearing aids are not as normalized, maybe, as glasses. Not everyone doesn't wear glasses, but almost everyone wears some sort of corrective lens at some, mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. Just started that. Readers everywhere. <laughs> right. Hearing aids, although they've gotten a million times better, if you're the kind of person who can afford ex very expensive hearing aids and have the patience and the tenacity to follow through. Sure, I know people who have these really, really high-tech hearing aids 
that are so tiny you can barely see them and you can't even tell they're wearing them and their hearing is a million times better. That's the exception, not the rule. And then, like my mother-in-law, who has them, you lose one, your insurance does a cover, and Correct. you have to pay three to $5,000 to get a new one. Correct. And there are some people, many people, who get them and can't stand them and wear them, you know, they, they won't persevere, so they wear them for an hour three times, and then that's the end of them, and they sit in a drawer until an audiologist shows up again or you, someone else takes them to an audiologist and says, oh, these are better. And they may be, mm-hmm. but they're still not going to tolerate them. Right. Um, Walmart, I know, sells inexpensive hearing aids. I'm not doing a commercial for Walmart, <laughs> but there are lower choice options. And, and I think that that's needed because most people I know, Howard, are in the lower choice option, especially when you're elder, you're in the lower choice option. Even yep. if you had more means when you're working, by the time you're at the end, you're penny pinching. You're finite amount of resources. So Even if you're not, yeah. what's the point of throwing out $20,000? Right, right. There is a device that it's, it looks like a stethoscope. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a little box that you put in front of you with, with a speaker in it. And the person you're having a conversation with speaks into the speaker. Mm-hmm. And then it's amplified as many times as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So that's only good for a one-on-one conversation. Right. But it makes that conversation fluid and easy to have. And there's also resources like that, too. My mother-in-law has used for years to listen to the TV, right, mm-hmm. with headphones. Right. So there's tons and tons of... And they're, they're not expensive. They're easy to get. They're not invasive in any way mm-hmm. or problematic. And I think, why would anyone not get them? In the fourth year of aging, my elder gives to me four galling words. And by this, I was referencing the impatience, the temper, the extremity of the personalities over time. What would you say about managing these moments? Everyone becomes a more extreme version of themselves as they get older. And I'm talking from like 10 onwards. Um, (laughs) It's true. But just because someone is 75 and um, is exploding more often it's not because they're older it's because you may be annoying them more (laughs) (laughs) my mother would agree with that and i think it's very easy for those of us who are younger to uh, patronize infantilize Mm -hmm. our parents or old people just because they're not as quick maybe Mm -hmm. on the trigger i had a client who was over a hundred who was mobile and there was nothing wrong with her mental capacities. She was just a little slower than she'd been. Okay. Slower physically, not, not mentally. And I remember we'd go out to lunch quite often and I'd always grab the check. And one day she looked at me and said, you know, I know you're trying to be nice, but just because you can move your hand and reach your wallet more quickly than I can get mine <laughs> doesn't mean that I want you to pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was right. Mm-hmm. And she shamed me, mm-hmm. but in a very polite way. And I never did it again. So let's play with that. It's not the impatience temper piece, but the emotions of your elder. Be, being empathetic, being sensitive. So mm-hmm. exactly case in point, my mom has very, very finite needs, right? She's given a stipend, if you will by the rest home, it's more than she needs because I can buy the Depends and I can buy the socks, whatever. But the self-respect, the enjoyment she gets out of being able to send cash in Easter cards to mm-hmm. my son 
or to pick up the checks. My sister and I have been playing this shell game for years with my parents. My sister says, what does mom need for Christmas? And I, of course, say nothing. But I say, I do take her out to Aquitaine mm -hmm. about once a week. There's a little outing enjoyment for her. And I know she would love to be able to pay. So why don't you reach out to the restaurant near me to send her a certificate so the next time I go, she can pick up the check. That's fabulous. And there's another point, too, that's tangential. But I think if you go to a restaurant often mm -hmm. with the same person and you get friendly with a server, that's another element of socialization. Because if, in fact, you like the server, the server likes you, and you're always sitting at the same table, it's yet another social outlet. That's actually... It kind of gives me chills, Howard, because I inadvertently have been doing that with COVID, with how you have to manage trying to keep relatively safe, but the fact that mostly that she has a walker. Mm -hmm. So every time I do it through open table and mm -hmm. I say, for a dining elder, please give us the closest booth. Well, we've been doing it probably two months straight. So recently I've realized in my head, they know exactly who I am. They know exactly who she is. By mm -hmm. the time I get to the door, the host already has it open. We get the same booth every single time. I made a point to your point of tipping him, him the host himself that night mm -hmm. because he's been so gracious and yeah there's at least three servers there now who know us the host was like you're our, my favorite clients <laughs> so my mom because of her temperament she's not necessarily picking up on these nuances and choosing to engage with them but they are making her experience very personable and very friendly and very comfortable because they recognize her and vice versa yeah yeah. So everybody wins. That's cool. In the fifth year of aging, my elder gives to me five inherited rings. And the reference here is to estate planning. Not only is it done at all, is it done well, is it done correctly, and does it create the outcome the elder intended, or does it create massive chaos and lawsuits, which I might know about? I think it's critical for everybody, young or old, to have a will, to have advanced care directives, to have legal documents that are fully executed. They can be changed, but if something horrible happens, things are in place. Mm -hmm. Just because one has all the right documents doesn't mean it's smooth sailing, but it, it guarantees certain problems won't arise. So I think it's critical to do that. That said, people are people, and just because there's a legal document saying, you know, I want this to go to so-and-so, that doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to crawl out of the woodwork and say, she promised me she'd give that to me, mm -hmm. which in fact may be true and may not be, but it's irrelevant. It's right. not legal, which is why you need the documents. Codified paper. Yes, codified paper, proof. One story that I think exemplifies whether it's codified or not, is my own mother, who had four pieces of expensive jewelry and the rest worthless. I have a sister who my mother offered it to countless times. No, 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 I don't want it. It's ugly. I can't stand it. I would never wear it. I don't want it. It's ugly. I don't want it. I was witness to this at least 10 times, and I'm sure it happened 20 more times. So... My mother then decided she has three nieces and a very close friend who she feels almost like another daughter. So my mother mailed each one of them, she FedExed, each one of these pieces of jewelry to each one of these four women. 
This is long, long, long before she died. When my sister was visiting, this came up again, and my sister was furious. What do you mean you gave that stuff away? I want it. My mother said, well, you, I've offered it to you a million times. You said you never wanted it. So this caused a big blow up. My sister then called all of these people up. One lives in Australia, which makes it even more complicated. Um, <laughs> and said, I, I want them. So these three relatives and one other person didn't mail my sister the jewelry. They mailed it back to my mother. Mm -hmm. There was my mother with the jewelry that she'd given away once back in her lap again. So she went to a lawyer, had him write a letter saying, dear so-and-so, I am sending you this ring. I want you to have it no matter, you know, under all circumstances that are not <laughs> wanting to give it to anyone. Especially you, my daughter. Well, she didn't, that was not in the document, <laughs> but that's, that was the implication. And uh, they all got everything back with this letter. They all were wearing this jewelry. They wore it every day. Aww. And when my mother died, the first thing my sister said was, send me the jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I had every piece of paper, every legal document imaginable. Because mm -hmm. I assume you were the executor, yes, not I was. your sister. Yes, <laughs> I was. There was nothing I could do about it. My mm -hmm. sister was furious, and she was furious at me as if I had done it. Mm -hmm. These things are going to happen. Right. But had there not been all this legal documentation, it would have been really ugly. Exactly. In the sixth year of aging, my elder needs for me, elder lawyer paying, meaning we, we will pay an elder lawyer to help the process. What's your opinion about elder lawyers? Everyone needs one. If you really can't afford one, there are legal services that are free. No matter where one lives, there's always going to be some volunteer legal project, particularly for the elderly or for just poor people. And for people who have no money but have possessions or have sentimental possessions, even if there's no dollar value, it needs to be done legally. Because that'll avoid grief, heartache, and lots of other things in the future. In the seventh year of aging, my elder, seems to me, has cognition dimming. So our faculties are all going. What, therefore, is your recommendation on all these to-dos for the elders and for the adult caregivers themselves? Remember, as cognition is diminishing. It's diminishing with all of us. I'm not talking about a disease or dementia or Alzheimer's disease. I'm talking about just normal aging, which does involve some memory loss with everybody. Mm -hmm. So when you're at the top of your game, let's say you're 45, um, is the time to start thinking about these things, not because you're going to die soon, but because you want to make these decisions when you're best equipped to make them. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you need to go to a lawyer and codify everything, but think about it. My husband and I started this process, we've been together 20 years, where first we would talk about it, and then we'd sort of write it down and think about it, and then eventually we got to the place, especially when we, when we had a kid, we codified it. Mm -hmm. And even now, there's, there's changes I think about doing, and I literally sleep on it. I think about, well, in this circumstance, would I do this, would I do that? And so I allow myself to have the thought Spend some time noodling. And just because you're thinking about them doesn't mean you have to do anything about right. them. Right. But the time to th begin thinking about them and maybe writing them down or having a discussion about them with your spouse or 
your best friend or whoever it is. It's never too soon. In the eighth year of aging, my elder needs weekly eight specialists billing. No one needs eight specialists <laughs> billing or not billing, especially if you're old. You may need a specialist or two specialists. I also think it's never too soon towards the end of one's life or when one gets older, not to be on hospice. There's a pre-hospice thing called palliative care. Most hospices have a palliative care nurse who can come review your records. Or if you have a geriatrician as your primary care doctor, they can do it. And Medicare will pay for this visit. It's a palliative care visit where they concatenate all the information and say based on all your existing conditions and the likelihood of your developing genetically this or that, mm -hmm. these things are inevitable or probable. It's better to know than not to know. And it's better to tell people that you care about what you know as well. Mm -hmm. And it's actually better for someone to be with you as well. Mm, okay. That's the time to think about filling out advanced care directives because everyone needs them. Anything can happen to anybody at any given moment. And the last thing you want is something done to you that you don't want done. And I think that's a perfect segue because I think there's a direct correlation between the paperwork you were just suggesting that should be filled out. So in the ninth year of aging, my elder needs daily 24-7 nursing. Talk a little bit about that spectrum of choices between staying in place, a big movement now, which I wholly believe in, all the way to assisted living, all the way to nursing, all the way to moving geography out of your home with to, to the sometimes pro, sometimes con notion of being closer to family. I think that someone's inner life is just as important as their external life, their, their body. And if someone is bored, unhappy, depressed, miserable, they can be perfectly healthy physically and still have a zero quality of life. Mm -hmm. To me, that's not worth living. Now, different people have different things that they value. Most of the time, it boils down to relationships. Mm -hmm. And you want to be near or accessible to people you care about mm -hmm. or who interest you. I love that point. Preferably it both. You. Yeah. And I think being able to engage with someone doesn't mean you agree with them necessarily. Mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. It just means they challenge you. Yeah. You have an opinion, you can have a conversation, right. you can talk right. about it. So unless they're living in isolation, which is bad for anybody, mm -hmm. you have ways of occupying your mind, then you should stay where you are mm -hmm. for as long as you can. And the only caveat I would put to that just as a lived experience my mother resisted leaving her house because of her perception that here I am with my community. She was no longer t really teaching students. They mm -hmm. had no social life because they'd become pariahs because of my dad's behavior. Mm -hmm. He sat in his chair and chain smoked all day and she slept on the couch all day. And for one hour each day, she would disappear to McDonald's to take a break from him to have coffee. She called that living happily in their home and it took me to be like i'm now evicting you from your home into a more dynamic environment yeah and i mean sometimes we become a victim of our own habits mm -hmm. a lot of times as you just said it takes someone else to jolt you out of it you can go from a to z in a year yes true it takes sometimes an outside eye because these things happen in little increments oh i lost a piano student okay well big deal right but when you've lost them all 
Right. And that's the thing you... And you, you don't leave the house And you anymore. don't leave the house, right? right? That's horrible. I think staying where you are, if it's possible, and you have an inner life there, and you're able to actualize your inner life, is best. If the people you care most about or you want to engage with the most are elsewhere, and if they're all in one other place, mm -hmm. relocating to that other place makes the most sense, I think. But it's individual choice. A lot of other factors play into it, like money, money. <laughs> um, and COVID right now. Right. But if you don't have any inner life, you really don't have any life, okay. even if you're healthy. I agree. I had another client who was a fashion designer who was isolated. Now, I don't know anything about fashion, but I found people who did. And she was happy. And the and young up-and-coming fashion designers were happy, too, because they were talking to someone who had a reputation. That's amazing. In the 10th year of aging, my elder needs for me medical equipment beeping. So Howard, I'll bring us into the subject matter, which is I think everybody will understand our stance on this now is mm, no, you don't and try to die at home and don't try to keep yourself alive with false medical interventions. Um, and false hopes. And false, yes, more to the point, false hopes. There's a lot of conversation happening, I would say, in the last couple of decades. Atul Gawande being mortal is one of the most famous, but I've read other articles, heard other things on NPR about doctors saying, we don't even choose to do to ourselves or to our loved ones what most people think is standard fare at the end of life. Any of these massive interventions, when, quite frankly, medicine is keeping us alive beyond the point that our bodies can sustain. Or our minds. Or our minds. I think 99% of the time these things are monstrous. Sometimes, in rare instances, if you're hooked up to a ventilator for uh, for two weeks, there's an 80% chance of you're recovering and getting off it. Then it's a discussion worth having. But if it's we hook you up to a ventilator and you can be on it till you die, I don't know anyone who wants to live in a ventilator immobile for uh, God knows how long. And I don't know any family members who want to witness that. I had that moment with my mom who was intubated this mm -hmm. summer when she almost died. Ironically, she was like, yeah, I'm fine with that because she didn't remember it. She was so hopped up. But it was a miserable experience for me as her healthcare proxy. She's strapped down, right, yeah. with a tube in her mouth. I have a friend who's a doctor who when they say, I want everything, the family says this, and they come at them with paddles and she says, okay, we're gonna jolt them alive. All of a sudden they change their mind. But it shouldn't have to get to that point. Exactly. There's so many other options like hospice where you can die with dignity, die in no pain, die surrounded by people, your family or people who you care about or who care about you. I had a friend, all she wanted to be surrounded by for her last week was her dogs, her son, her grandson and her daughter. And I was in and out. She was on hospice. It was quite remarkable. I don't know how they knew this, but the day she died, all of her dogs jumped on her bed and stayed there the whole day wow. without eating, without peeing, without pooping, nothing. They intuited that this was it. And once she died, they all jumped off the bed. Wow. That's amazing. And that's what she always wanted. That's what she got. That's what our neighbor, you and I talked about, got. His dog was by his side when he died unexpectedly mm -hmm. in his home. I also think morticians, funeral directors, there's a misconception about them out there mm. that I myself had until I was hired. There's a funeral directors association to speak about Alzheimer's at a bunch of their nationwide conferences. Mm -hmm. Now I thought 
dead body's a dead body. If they died of Alzheimer's, what do they need to know? What I was foolishly did not realize is funeral directors are really social workers mm, yeah. because they have to deal with the families of the deceased. And frequently, if it's an elderly person, no matter what they died of, there's a spouse or a relative who's demented. They have to deal with that. And the stories, the questions I kept getting, well, John died and his wife, Sarah, um, is demented. And her family says she has to go to the funeral. Mm. But she can't remember that he died. Oh, wow. So every time she walked into the funeral home and saw the body, she got hysterical. No one told me he died. Oh, my God. It was sadism to bring her there all the time. It was far kinder to have her not go. She didn't need to know that he died because each time was the first time. Wow. And I was surprised initially, but then not, at how caring these people were. Mm -hmm. Most of it was a family business that they inherited, Mm -hmm. but they didn't continue in the business because they loved dead bodies. They continued in the business because they cared about people. Exactly. In fact, a coworker of mine left corporate America to go back into the family business. I keep meaning to interview him because that's what it was. It's the community connection, right? The people connection. So hospice providers, palliative care providers, funeral directors are not ghouls. They're kind generally. Mm -hmm. And they're people that you should lean on and you should go to for support. These things need to be demystified. So to your point, even I, despite how many things I've gone through, many of our elders erred on the side of informality and cremation and not having a formal funeral home Mm -hmm. connection. With the the exception of the uh, couple that with the estate nonsense. I recently called the local funeral home mm-hmm. two blocks away from my mom's place mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, when she dies, I just need to know what is the process to get her cremated, get the remains back because I know that we want to inter her in the funeral plot of her own parents. Mm-hmm. But what was so delightful about it is I felt super dorky calling up and being like, so my mom lives two blocks away. She's not dead yet, but I just kind of want to know. The guy called back. We were playing phone tag, made a point of leaving his personal cell phone mm-hmm. so we could have that conversation immediately referenced the fact that he has his own elder friend in mm. the same rest home and like so it was so personable mm-hmm. it didn't make me feel like a jerk it didn't make me feel like a freak it didn't make me feel like he didn't have time for me he was calling me in between all of his other services it was lovely and so to that point the day mom inevitably dies i look forward to working with that home Genesis and i feel Street. the same way having been in the business my parents were both cremated with the same place. Mm-hmm. I know the funeral director very well. I think this is a good way to end. It's very funny. My mother died in hospital, and they wanted to do an autopsy for a study. So I said, of course. The funeral director, I called and said, she died, they're doing an autopsy. And he said, I'll pick the body up tomorrow. Now, he knew my mother. So he went to the morgue at, at um, the hospital, and he called me and said, your mother's not here. I said, what do you mean my mother's not there? (laughs) He said, trust me, she's not here. He said, not only did I, you know, ask for her by name and birthday and social security number, I looked at every female corpse. Oh, my God. She's not here. Oh, my God. So I called and they said, oh, that autopsy had to be done at the city morgue. (laughs) So I said, well, I wish you'd told me that, but okay, people make mistakes. I said, she's at the city morgue. He said, okay. An hour later, calls me. We're in trouble, Howard. I said, what? He said, your mother's here. She's still wearing her glasses. <laughs> She's got her watch on. Believe me, it's your mother. 
But they want the next of kin to come and ID the body. Oh and I don't think you should come to the city morgue to see your mother. I said, I don't want to. So he said, well, all right, I have a plan. <laughs> I said, what's your plan? So he got a Howard impersonator. He brought Stop it. someone else in. Oh, my God. I'm glad he did it. Thank <laughs> God. This person who I don't know and shouldn't went in. He said, this is Howard. He's here to ID his mother's body. The Howard impersonator went in, brought over to my mother's body. Oh, my God. The Howard impersonator said, oh, Mom, and started crying and ran out. <laughs> <laughs> so I ID'd my mother's body, even though I wasn't there. Holy and they released it. That is officially, <laughs> over seven years, one of the best stories you've ever told. <laughs> yeah, we can't beat that. Whew. In the 11th year of aging, my elder needs for me 11 rounds of diapering. How do we feel about incontinence, Howard? Well, I think that's, again, a personal thing. I would not want to be in a diaper ever. But that's me. Some people don't care. Some people become incontinent and everything else is fine. I have a friend who had the very beginning of dementia. His wife wanted to be certain that she was following his wishes, not her own. Mm -hmm. So smart. she videotaped a conversation that I had and her husband um, at where I asked him a million questions about would you want to be alive if this happened, if that happened, if this happened. And to my amazement, I said, well, if you were incontinent, would you want to live in it? Depend. And he said, sure. <laughs> I said, Sure? He said, yeah, what's the big deal? I said, well, to me, it would be horrible. He said, well, that's you. For me, I don't think it's any big deal. So he's alive and he's in a diaper. Wow. <laughs> and it's codified. I asked probably 30 questions about what he would want, if this, if that, if this, if that. He answered every question. So they know exactly what he wanted about almost, not everything, but right. almost everything. Which I love about that. You are not forcing your family into a commitment of a choice that you're making before you're incontinent, demented, et cetera, et cetera. So you're creating a separation of church and state. And I do think that this is what the caregivers, nurse caregivers, et cetera, home health aides are also for, is they can keep you in your role as daughter, as wife, mm -hmm. instead of making you a home health aide and allowing the family unit to stay intact in that way. Okay, we are at the finale. Maybe I'll try to sing this one. In the 12th year of aging, my elder needs from me. <laughs> Morphing for numbing. Howard, tell caregivers what choices there are, like hospice, like palliative care, where you can exit gracefully. Hospice in the United States right now, unless the law changes, can't kill you, but they can make your death painless, which I don't know who in their right mind would not want that. Medicare pays for hospice in its entirety. For me, it's unfathomable to not go on it. And I've never sat around thinking about how hospice is paid for. Medicare. And by that accounting, you are not making a system worse by sitting yourself in a hospital with Correct. umpteen bills that are getting racked Correct. up across our system. One finite charge that is presumably not as egregious as being kept alive in machines in a hospital. Correct. For those who want it, there's an organization 
called Compassion and Choices, which used to be the Hemlock Society in the United States. Then there's another organization called Final Exit Network. They have a website. They have books published where they give you education and resources if you want to end your life ways to do it that are safe and efficient. I know many people have partaken. And I think if that's what you want, that's what you should do. Once you're dead, you're dead. If you're terminally ill, which is who they really only deal with anyway, their death is inevitable. So that's the, the last way of having control over your Correct. Over yourself. Correct. Perfect timing. We just wrapped. We've got the mic still running. It's, it's smoking. Okay. So I, well, when I left, I was thinking, are they taping all of Howard's stories? <laughs> yes. Well, she's going to edit it. It's not just going to be me blabbering. You still going? Your turn. Oh, okay. Let's see. Follow my monthly podcast for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your irreverent radio. In between, you can find support, education, and hundreds of resources on my website, thisisgettingold.com. Just add some dashes. Sign up for my newsletter to receive my latest insights, anecdotes, audio, and ever-growing list of shit. Performing my theme music is my mom and my son. My production partner is Michelle Rado of Flying Pig Audio, and I am Irreverent Rachel. Bidding you adieu until I start up again in 2022. Happy New Year! So do you want to say anything to the listening audience on no, your no, kind? No, that, no, that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I leave Howard as the public spokesman <laughs> for the household. You, you are the gracious host. <laughs> <laughs>